Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello and welcome to another podcast from Dementia Researcher. The Rare Dementia Support Impact Study is a £3.65 million research project carrying out the first major study of the value of multi-component support groups and affiliated legal advice service for people living with or supporting someone with a rare form of dementia. It comprises the five following work packages. The longitudinal cohort interviews to establish the needs for those affected by rare dementias and when they are required. Theoretical development. Developing measures novel interventions and economic analysis and was one of five funded as part of the ESRC NIHR funded dementia research initiative. The Rare Dementia Support Impact Study is a five-year collaboration between University College London, Bangor University and Nipissing University in Canada. It's led by Professor Sebastian Crutch and today I'm joined by two of the researchers involved in this study at the UCL site, Emma Harding who is in the final year of her PhD and writing up now, and Emily Brotherhood, who is a second year PhD student. Welcome to you both. Emma, you have been a panellist with us before, talking about the use of technology in dementia research, Natalie entitled Echoes Around the Home. If you haven't listened to that one, please head over there and listen to that after this one. But maybe we can have a brief introduction from you both, your backgrounds, who funds you, your hopes and dreams. Emma? So I um, am a psychologist by background um, and I've been at the Dementia Research Centre for five years now working mostly with people who have a rare kind of dementia called posterior cortical atrophy. And I'm Emily Brotherhood, so I started at the Dementia Research Centre with Emma also five years ago. Um, I'm a research psychologist and research associate and work primarily on the Rare Dementia Support Impact Study. Okay. Did you both start as research assistants? We did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then have your have your PhDs been part time, or you just stopped doing research assistant and became PhD students? They've been part time for both of us. Okay. So yeah, working alongside our studies um, and our PhD projects, by and large, feed into what we currently mm. do for our, our nine to five. Yeah. Would you recommend a part time PhD, or has it been stressful doing both? I would super recommend it. I think it's <laughs> it's. If if your yeah full time work overlaps enough with it, I think it's really brilliant to be part of a team and have that kind of I'm at work approach to it um, oh. as well. I find oh, that quite that's interesting. Useful. I've not really thought about it like that. I think when I was working in the lab, we had a couple of people who were doing part time, but they ended up doing more tech jobs. So mm. it was sort of uh. you know making solutions, and then I'm doing my PhD on the side. It you know it didn't really overlap very well. I don't think that yeah yeah. Anyway. Uh, should we go through each of the five work packages as a starter for 10? Uh, so maybe, Emily? Yep, sure. Um, so the, we've got five packages overall, and the first one is um, a longitudinal cohort study, um, which mainly consists of interviews. So what that means is that we're um, asking people the same questions over a period of time. And we're asking um, both people living with rare forms of dementia, so um, just to clarify, that's dementia that often presents with symptoms other than um, difficulties with memory um, and often starts at the age um, of before 65 or when people are often in working age. So interviewing these people um, every six months or so over a period of a num- number of years and that's really to establish particularly what their support needs are and when those needs are required. 
Um, so that's the first work package. Sorry, can I just ask? So when do you start? When do they? When do you enrol people to the study? At what point in their diagnosis, or do you see what I mean? So the membership um, of Red Dementia Support um, is of over. Fi- about 1500 people and um, these can be people at various stages of their diagnosis some people come to our support group meetings querying they think something's wrong but they haven't had a formal diagnosis or they're not sure how to get access to the right healthcare professional to get that diagnosis um, right through to carers who now attend our support groups without their partners because for example they can no longer come due to being such a late stage of their disease and all of them would be eligible to do the questionnaire so even someone who was just coming with concerns absolutely i think it would be it's useful for us to capture all Mm -hmm. of the experiences of being affected by or thinking you may be affected by rare dementia yeah that's great so that's the first one. Emma, do you want to kick off with the second one? Yeah. So the second one, the theoretical development, um, which is a bit jargony, but that we're basically just trying to understand how support groups work for people. And we, you know, me and Emily and colleagues, we've all helped at lots of support groups. And you, you meet people who are there for the first time. Usually about a third of the people there are there for the first time. You meet them. They're obviously quite nervous, as is understandable, and quite stressed um, and worried, maybe. And then we go into the support group meeting, and when you escort them out afterwards, it just feels different, and they seem to just have had an experience that has really sort of benefited them. Um, And we really want to understand more what happens in that meeting, exactly the processes and mechanisms um, by which the groups do manage to help people. And because they're multi-component as well, so there are some small group discussions, there are some bigger talks. um, Yeah, it's really teasing apart what is helping people in which way. At the moment, have you got any theories on the theoretical development? Um, I, I think it's going to turn out to be quite complicated I'm sure that because everyone comes to this sort of journey with a different experience and their own preferences for how they want to engage with the service so I'm sure it's going to be a case of different things work for different people um but yeah it's working out exactly in which ways in a very basic way though I guess it's taking something that you feel is a problem and then saying it out loud and getting validation or you know other people in a similar situation can instantly make you feel relieved or you know better yeah I think that's a massive part of it and as Emily was saying people struggle for a long time to get the right diagnosis Mm -hmm. and they spend a lot of time talking to healthcare professionals who maybe aren't familiar with their condition so to walk into a room exactly as you say and for someone to say ah I know why you would have had trouble with that door or Mm -hmm. um something like that it's really validating for people absolutely also time I mean you go and see a healthcare professional for maybe 10 minutes at a GP or you know you could go further down the line but still it's sort of um focused time on what you're trying to say yeah absolutely I think that's a huge part of it I think what's really unique about this project is that we actually have the opportunity to take something that we anecdotally think oh that works and then apply sort of empirical investigation into it so we can actually tease out is it the fact that you're speaking to somebody who has the same condition of you or is it access to the professionals or is it the time? And I think to be able to kind of tease those bits out is what's going to make this project really special. Yeah. Um, OK, number three. Number three. So should I take this one? Yes. Um, so we're interested because we're psychologists and we're always interested in measuring behaviour. We're um, you know looking for developing novel ways to... Um, to look at how you know, look at what's um, being what's important for people um, when they're accessing support groups and what's going on. Um, now, the problem with 
current measures um, is that they often focus on more typical forms of dementia. So that would be typical Alzheimer's disease, where somebody would um, typically begin to notice difficulties in their 80s um, and have problems with memory. But so those tasks are mostly and tasks are mostly focused on um, accessing difficulties in memory. However, um, there are lots of different difficulties that people with rare dementias face. And so the idea is that we would develop novel measures. Um, and one example of this is to develop a measure of resilience. Um, this is often the, the case that there's loads of strengths and capabilities of our rare dementia support group members, but they um, it's not often captured. Um, and mostly tests tend to focus on people's symptoms and difficulties rather than those amazing sort of um, demonstrations that we see when people say about different life hacks that they've come up with, for example, to get get around the things that they find difficult. Um, so that's one aspect and one example of the measures that we're interested in developing. Um, but also we're going to be taking the analysis um, from all of the longitudinal interviews that I mentioned earlier and then from the ground up kind of working out what's important to the people with the dementia and their carers um, and develop measures based around the analysis and what we find in the first bit of the project. Okay, moving on to number four, novel interventions. Yes, so we will be um, developing an online intervention to support people um, affected by dementia, so people living with dementias and carers as well. Um, and this really speaks to one of the main aims of our project is to increase accessibility of these services. And obviously we, we know that we can run um, some fantastic groups in London and other regional locations across the UK, but often people are you know, a three or four hour train journey from their nearest specialised group. Um, so we think the potential value of online interventions could be huge to support people. And also we have a lot of um, new inquiries and new members who are based overseas um, who, yeah, may never have met someone with their condition before. And we really want to um, develop something that can be reached by those people as well. Would you try and do not just online, you know, a screen, but would you try and actually have face-to-face -face online? Do you see what I mean? So obviously from your group, one of the things I imagine is that actually talking to someone in the same room, having had to leave your house is quite a big thing and that could, you know, make you feel better having actually seen someone. So doing an online quiz or, you know, just filling in a form probably isn't going to have the same impact maybe as actually seeing someone's face on the screen. Yeah, I think absolutely. And we've just um, we've started to live stream our meetings at the moment so that the talk in the morning um, will be live streamed. And that's been really well received. But often people will say, oh, it's just such a shame you can't live stream into a chat over lunch or a small group discussion afterwards. Um, so I think that's something we're really keen to be a part of that, actually to have real time face to face um, virtual conversations with other people who are affected. Okay, and then number five, economic analysis. Yes, so finally, um, on to the last one, we're keen to look at the cost effectiveness um, of the different kinds of support that um, that's available for people with rare dementias. Um, as I'm sure everyone listening is aware, funding is a major issue for um, both dementia research and care. And so if we're going to demonstrate that these support groups are valuable, um, in the way that we run them or perhaps in novel ways that we're going to add into it. We need to also, in parallel, show that this is a sustainable um, and effective model from an economic point of view as well. So that's not just how much it costs, it's how much it's also saving in 
you know, hospital time or that sort of thing. Absolutely, yes. And these things are really complex and we're working with a great group in Bangor, um, a group of uh, health, economic, um, health economics to be, able to, um, to be able to tease those things out. Okay, that sort of comes on to one of my points when you mentioned Bangor University because this is um, spread over a few sites, isn't it? UCL, Bangor and Nipissing University in Canada. So are you working with people there? Are you collaborating with them? How's that working for you? It's working really well. So we have, you know, we've um, got a very broad team and lots of different, not only um, working all over the world, we've got different um, people from different disciplines as well. Um, so we've got a really rich um, research team together. Um, we meet regularly and we've got a good collaboration, I think, going on. Um, yeah, and they add, they add a lot to the, a lot to the um, process. What are your actual specific roles in the study? Now we've sort of discussed the five work packages. What are your specific roles? So I, um, my background and PhD work has mostly been using qualitative methods. Um, so I will be mostly involved in the qualitative data analysis. Um, and that will be sort of the thematic analysis of the initial interviews and the, the longitudinal interviews that repeat as well. Um, but we also have some really exciting, innovative methods to use. So in the theoretical development package, um, we're using something called situational analysis, which will allow us to look not only at um, our members and what they tell us about their experiences, but also about other kind of structures and factors which influence the whole situation of rare dementia support. So things like policy, um, venues, um, facilitators, the agendas, the bigger public discourses of dementia that are um, going on at the same time. So that's really exciting. Wow. And Emily? And day to day, um, I'm the programme manager for the project, so I've coordinated a lot of the study setup, the ethics, and I also work alongside the Rare Dementia Support Service in terms of the governance. Um, and also, as a research psychologist, I'm really keen to get involved in the quant um, analysis of all the data once it's gathered and sort of get my own caseload to start interviewing people and see what we can pull out from that. Okay, so this is a five year study. Whereas most funded studies tend to last three years. What length, What will that length of time allow you to do in this project? I think, um, as Emily was mentioning about Work Package 1, um, interviewing people over time, obviously this just gives us a broader scope to do that. So we will hopefully be able to interview people multiple times um, to see how their needs are changing over time. And I think that's especially important given that people come to our service at different stages in their condition. So we really want to, yeah, just see how things change over time for different people with the different um, diagnoses. And also it means we'll have time to actually implement some of those findings so they can feed into other work packages. As Emily mentioned, they can feed into the measure development um, and they also will be really fundamental in informing the online intervention as well. Um, and just having that breathing space to do that. Um, so those things can carry on in parallel. You're not, you know, it's not. You're not waiting for the longitudinal study to totally inform the other bits, are you? It's no. So I think that's the sort of benefit of it being kind of people being at different stages at each of the waves of interview. So we will hopefully be able to get a mix of experience um, at each stage that we interview. And how are you involving people who are affected by rare dementias in the study? Are they involved in the actual development of the questionnaire? Yes, so the, I mean, 
people affected by rare dementia have been involved from the grant application stage onwards. So we're lucky enough to have uh, Roberta McKee Jackson, um, who she form- formerly cared for her husband Noel, who lived with a rare form of Alzheimer's disease called posterior cortical atrophy. Um, and Roberta has been on the; she's a member of the team um, and a co-investigator on the project. Um, and we also have other members of our research team who have personal ex- and lived experience with rare dementia. Um, so from the off, I think we've felt pretty comfortable that we've involved um, people affected by rare dementias in this project. Um, one of the things that we're also keen to look at and, um, is to co-design the project um, with other, our other members. Um, so, for example, we're currently conducting a study to form a consensus about the kind of outcome measures that we'll, um, we want to achieve from the study. Um, so that's using a method called the nominal groups technique. Um, so it's a sort of iterative process and discursive process by which you can have both a group of people affected by rare dementias and the research team um, feeding into that process so you end up with a consensus that doesn't just consist of the researchers saying this is what we think we should do, it's actually from the ground up. And that will continue throughout the study or is, you know, it's not just a one-off thing at the beginning to get the ground? Absolutely, yeah, this is just, yeah, this is just, this was just something to get the ball rolling but we definitely see loads of opportunity for every you know all the members to get involved as much um, or as little as they feel is comfortable for them okay and then there was a bit at the beginning um affiliated legal advice service could you maybe tell us a bit more about that yeah, sure. So this is um, a group at UCL um, called Centre for Access to Justice, and they're a group of legal professionals um, who have very generously teamed up with us um, to provide their time for free. Um, and this is to provide a legal service and a free one-off consultation for anybody living with or affected by a rare dementia who might need to consult a, a professional lawyer. Um, and this can range from lots of different things, from how to tackle those very, very long forms that you get when you're trying to apply for financial support um, or PIP payments, um, right through to um, people having difficulties and being in trouble with the police because of changes in behaviour and personality, which you can attribute to rare forms of dementia, such as frontotemporal dementia. Um, So that's a service that is provided for them for free, both through the support group meetings and will soon, we hope, to be online as well so people can get access really quickly. Well, that's really great. I know it really helped my mum when my dad was diagnosed that she got some financial support. Oh, not support, but help. It was actually the PIP form that was... The, it, uh, yeah. yeah, I think, you know, it, I think everybody struggles with that form. So if we can make it, we're thinking of ways that we can, you know, put tutorials up and make mm. it easier for people to actually get what they need and to also understand the legal terms around it and the implications of when you say one thing what that might lead to mm. being approved or rejected for that support I mean that's not just a rare dementia thing is it that's no absolutely not yeah. I think we um, we're going to start small but there's no reason to say that we wouldn't make open access to anybody mm. who's um, who's affected by any kind of dementia yeah that's amazing um, so will you be linking in with other projects funded as part of the same initiative yeah So there are um, five studies in total funded um, in this Dementia Research Initiative um, and three of those are at UCL Um, and aside from ours they the studies span the whole sort of trajectory of dementia if you like so there is the project led by um, Claudia Cooper at UCL which is the apple tree project which is about prevention Um, and then there is also the embed project led by um, Liz Sampson uh, which is about palliative care and end of life Um, 
And so we are writing a series of protocol papers um, for a special issue of the International Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry together. Um, at this stage, while we're all sort of designing our separate protocols, but we hope that um, in terms of our findings as well, there'll be some ways we can integrate the way we present those and the way we disseminate them um, because of some real overarching issues, including with um, Shubhi Banerjee's team um, in Sussex about accessibility really and reach of people um those are some really key themes that run through all the projects i would say so you can overlap or at least learn from each other on those sorts of issues so obviously accessibility you mean to services and that sort of thing so for prevention that might not be as big a deal but for palliative care that's probably way up there yeah yeah I think it's working out um where how we can look across all the projects and see where those opportunities for linking are um, and I think it, it will be really exciting when we get to the stage of findings and we can think about some public engagement outputs mm-hmm. um as a whole team because I think a lot of what we're going to find is not just relevant for other academic colleagues but for the general population and practitioners working in the community mm-hmm. as well I actually wondered, just on a sort of practical level, as part of the five-year funding, is there any public outreach sort of set-aside money? Or is that would that just be totally at the end, you're like, right, we're going to need to publicise this now and you'd have to apply for more funding? I'm only asking because it comes up quite a bit, sort of implementation, how you actually go from, you know, your academic paper to it being useful for other people and disseminating your work. Do you know if as part of your five-year money you get a, I don't know, marketing budget, let's call it? There is money in the in, in the grant application for public engagement, and I think um, so. Emma and I have both been um, part of a wonderful residency um, based at the Hub at the Welcome Collection um, prior to this project starting. And what was incredible about that is that we had a dedicated communications person who just took our findings and just met, you know we had exhibitions and there was you know the loads of different installations and different events that I think it really opened our eyes and minds to the power of communicating a narrative Um, so I think we've come into this project probably a lot more conscientious about public engagement than perhaps we would have done before Um, and so we've got lots of things planned I mean starting to kick off with more traditional approach to start off with with conferences and just like laying the foundations and then eventually we want to be you know appearing at different festivals and public engagement pint of science that kind of thing. I guess there's often a comparison with cancer research and the amount of money that's put into them and how many researchers. But in a way, dementia's kind of different to that, isn't it? It's people's, it takes over a lot more of your life. So having a whole thing where you go to festivals and talk more is quite a big part of dementia research because it's about telling people about what you're doing and how you can help and access to different services and that it's going to change massively over time. I think that's a big key one that you say here about your longitudinal study. It will change over time and having access to the right support at the right time obviously seems key. Um, So what tips have you got for other ECRs working on long studies across multiple sites? I think um, a really important thing is to make the most of that sort of multi-site big scale project so you hopefully in that already have friendly institutions that you can go and speak to and that's really great for your sort of presentation practice but can also um, give you opportunities to network with others and build other sorts of collaborations um, which I think is really important and I would say as well to try and strike the balance between I think in a big project it's easy to get sort of swept up in 
in the momentum of it um, and in our project we have a really strong team identity which is great but also um, the fact that we are interdisciplinary I think it's really helpful to keep in mind your discipline and others and where you can learn from each other um, and taking up the opportunity to learn novel techniques that you may be able to they may be able to impact your practice kind of ongoing yeah I think my advice would be to try and not be intimidated by how senior some of the members <laughs> are on your team and to you know to speak up in meetings mm-hmm. um often because in really large projects a lot of the groundwork and the detailed work is being done by more junior members of staff mm-hmm. um simply because senior researchers and PIs don't really have time to be sifting through literature um, and the most up-to-date findings so you can often find that you'll be sitting in a room and find that you'll be the person that's actually maybe the most up-to-date with the topic so I think it's important to realise that sometimes the whole room might turn to you and actually ask your opinion I think it's important to give a true and honest account of what you found and what you think without being perhaps deterred um, by how senior some of those people sitting around the table are. That's a really good advice that I am definitely going to use in my next team meeting. (laughs) Well, thank you both today. It's been really interesting and good luck with the five-year study. Has it started? Yes. Okay. How far into it are you? We're nine months in. Okay. So good luck with the next four years and three months. And if you have anything to add on this topic, drop us a line on Twitter using the hashtag ECR Dementia. And finally, please remember to subscribe to this podcast through SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify. Thank you. This was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.